0: As we've been following the story in the book of Mark, we know Jesus and his disciples, they're now continuing their journey toward Jerusalem, probably now making their way towards Jericho before they get there. And Jesus and his disciples, they're setting out at this point, having just talked to the Pharisees and being tested by them, challenged in the area of what he believes about divorce. That's what we covered uh, last week. And they encounter a man with a very serious question. And this is the famous story about the rich young ruler. And I pray that it refreshes all of us today as we look at it. But we'll be starting in verse 17. And here's what the Bible says As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, teacher, I have kept all of these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. But at these words, he was very sad. And he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were even more astonished. And they said to him, then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, with people, it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, behold, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now And in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. The topic of living forever does not come up much outside of the faith until there is a context to discuss it. Christians talk about it all the time because the New Testament, the passages and the promises, they proclaim it to us. For example, we read from Jesus's words in John three sixteen, a scripture that many of us have memorized for a long time. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Well, Paul says something similar in Romans 6, 3, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. John the Apostle says something like this in 1 John five eleven. He says, And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Well, the point here is that the Bible emphasizes eternal life over and over again, but perhaps we, and definitely our society and our culture, do not think much about eternal life because we are blinded by the doctrines, the ideologies, and the thoughts of the times in which we are living. Our world says to us that we need to stay young. We know that because they offer to us prevention products, some type of elixir of life that would suggest to you that you're not going to grow old and you won't have the things that old people have if you drink this or put this on or do that. And maybe you've already accepted that you are old and you look old. So for you, we have restorative products because (laughs) it may be too late, but wait, it's not too late. You too can stay young suggesting that that is the idea, suggesting that that is what we're all going for is that we think that this life is all there is. So if I stay young in this life, then I'm doing pretty good. Why? Because there's really nothing else. Our world tells us to live to the full. We'll sell you the greatest vacation package. We'll entertain you. We'll help you to have the most fun. We'll fulfill your fantasies, giving you instant gratification because this life is all there is. If it's not being said directly, it is being said subtly. Have your best life now. Live it up to the full because that's all we get. So instant gratification is king. Our world tells us to acquire wealth and we don't even know why. Save, build, hoard, store up, build bigger barns. Not about being generous, not about helping people, but just store up, store up, store up, and then you die and then give it to your kids and pray that they use it wisely. But that part we leave out. Not when you're old, you don't. You really hope that's what happens. Or maybe the government will get your money in case you didn't fulfill your will or your living trust out properly, which by the way does happen. Our world tells us it's all meaningless. Maybe you've heard of nihilism today which has become very popular. We just reject all notions of moralism or any principles that would tell us what right and wrong, what is true about this life and what is true about what is coming because it's all meaningless, right? That's nihilism, very popular today. But then a tragedy occurs a death, a sickness, a financial collapse of some kind. And there's a question that looms over every person. That is this, what else is there beyond this life? Is there more than what I'm experiencing? Is there more than this life? And there are a lot of reasons that a person might ask these questions, questions about eternal life, questions about afterlife. Afterlife but there is only one place, or let's just say there's only one person that can give us the answer, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, who declared about himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Eternal life is to know Jesus Christ our Lord. We get to observe an interaction today between Jesus and a rich young man. The Bible says, calls it, well, it doesn't actually say this about him, but we call him the rich young ruler. And the question around this interaction is, what about eternal life and how do I get it? I wanna share with you some observations that I've made concerning this interaction. The first one is this, we see in him a sincere desire that's born from conviction. Let's read verse 17. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and he asked him, good teacher, what shall I do? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. And then he gives him five of the commandments and he adds one more line, do not defraud. And he said to him, teacher, I have kept all these from my youth up. Why do we call this man the rich young ruler? We know in the passage, it says that he's very wealthy. So that settles the rich one right there. In Luke 18, 18, it calls him a ruler, but it never mentions that he's young. Most scholars believe that he's young because he's not a religious ruler. You had to be 30 or older in order to be a religious ruler. So that's where we get the idea that he's rich, that he's young, and that he is a ruler. But he does something that's out of his character. He runs up to Jesus and he kneels before him. He falls on his knees. A man like this would not do that. When it says that he knelt before Jesus, it's the exact same terminology that you read in Mark 1 when the leper fell down before Jesus. People are watching him, but I think when we read this text, what we find is it shows us the sincerity of this man. He was listening to Jesus and he was under conviction for sure. He knew that something was missing and so he says to him on his knees, "'Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life?' Well, the problem with this question is, is it saying that he knows Jesus is good, but he doesn't believe that Jesus is God? And the reason that that's a problem is because this man believes that he can be good enough, that he can do something in order to inherit eternal life. And that's why he looks at Jesus and he says, good teacher. And Jesus confronts him. Why do you call me good? Jesus isn't concerned about being called good. Some other religions will say, see, Jesus is denying his deity. No, he's not. He's challenging the man. Why do you call me good? Not why am I being called good? Why do you call me good? Because the man thought, if I could just find out what you know, if I could just learn what you've learned, then I could be like you. I can achieve it. I can do it myself. It's not something that I receive I don't have to feel like I can't. I know that I can. He sees Jesus as a man, but he does not believe him to be God. Jesus says, you know the commandments. He gives him five out of the 10. Those five are specific about how you treat other people. But it's funny to me because he throws in a sixth, which is not a commandment, and it's do not defraud. Scholars wonder why that he Jesus says this to him. We don't know. Maybe it's the way that the rich young ruler acquired his wealth. And Jesus was throwing a seed into the conversation, winking at him because he knew. I don't, I don't know. Perhaps that's the case. But the rich young ruler responds very quickly to Jesus He doesn't phone a friend. He doesn't call a lifeline. He doesn't check his journal. He doesn't recall his prayers. He just says back to Jesus, I have kept all of these commandments from my youth. There's no confession of sin. There's no profession of his need. None of that. I have done all of this. You know how we can interpret that today? I am pretty darn good. Pretty darn good. I'm on my knees. I'm asking Help me out, Lord, if there's something. Or he doesn't say, Lord, help me out, good teacher. But it's exposing the man. I've asked people this question in my evangelism efforts. Why should God let you into heaven? I like asking people that question. You should try it sometime. Preferably not in the drive-thru. You won't get very good answers. But when you have time with people, ask them the question, why should God let you into heaven? And you know what answers I usually get 90% of the time, except for those that are believers. People say things, well, I try to do good. Sometimes I live a good life. I'm not a bad person. I am not a criminal. (laughs) That makes me a great candidate for the pearly gates. I believe God sees me and he's going to think of me in contrast to other people that I'm worthy to enter on in. But here's the problem. Every answer that starts with an I is already wrong. I, 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 eh, <laughs> eh, he, he did for me. He paid a price I couldn't pay. He went on the cross so that my sins could be forgiven. He did what I could not do. Not I, 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 it's he, he, he the only answer that's worthy to stand before a holy and righteous God and come into heaven forevermore, it's he, it is not I. We have a desire for more. We might have a conviction that something is missing, but if we have a wrong or superficial view of Jesus, this will not lead us to heaven. And that's what we see in this man. He's got conviction, he's got desire, but he has a wrong, a superficial view of Jesus. Jesus is just a good teacher, just a little bit better than me a decent person who came 2,000 years ago. He's got a superficial view of sin. I'm a pretty good person. I fulfill the commandments. Really? Really? I've done all of those since my youth. Really? I mean, did you not go through the toddler phase? (laughs) Were you not an adolescent? Were you not a teenager? You never had a rebellious moment? Really? Come on. I mean, outwardly, uh, maybe nobody knows the depth of your sin, but that's what the guy is saying. I'm pretty good. He's got a superficial view of sin. He can't even admit to something he's done wrong. He's looking for Jesus to give him the next step on his stairway to heaven. He must have a superficial view of salvation as well. Salvation is something that you can earn. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Rather than what am I missing? Just humble yourself to the full, fullest extent rather than asking what step you need to take. What's the application for this point? Where in your life are you tempted to think that you're good enough? Where in your life are you tempted to think that you're good enough? That is a great question today. Good enough to inherit eternal life. Good enough to stand before a holy and righteous God and get into heaven. Good enough to even have more of God for those of us that are Christ followers in the room. Where are we tempted to think that we're good enough? Well, we have a lot more observations to make here. I see a surrendered heart from the words of Jesus is required to follow him. Look at verse 21. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and he said to him, one thing you lack I bet you he kind of got a little excited. Oh, only one. I knew there was something missing. One thing, only one, but it's a big one. Go and sell all you possess and give it to the poor, then you will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. But at these words, man, he was sad. That word, that Greek word, is like an overcast was, was over him, unlike what we see today in the Pacific Northwest. There was a gray sky. There was an overcast. He was saddened. His countenance was, was down. It was obvious. And he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. That word property is not the right word. It would be possessions. He owned a lot of stuff. It says Jesus loved him. And I think that's profound. Jesus doesn't look down on him. He doesn't want to patronize him. He's not looking to condemn him. The Bible says that he felt affection for him. He loved him right there. He saw something good or quality about him. He loved him and he loves us too, but he says this to him out of love. Truth comes out of love. Truth comes out of love and he looked at him and he said, this one thing you lack, go sell everything you have, not some things, not a couple things, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, not your family, not your friends, not the future children that you'll have, go give it to the poor, the people that you only interact with when you give alms, give it to them. Have treasure in heaven. You've got to believe me that what you're about to embark upon is greater treasure than you will ever know. And then come and follow me, the greatest invitation that you could ever have. Come and follow me. The one thing he lacked was this. He lacked a surrendered heart that was totally dependent upon God rather than himself. That's the one thing that he lacked. It wasn't about wealth. It wasn't about finances. It wasn't about his possessions. It was that his possessions had a hold of him and he couldn't see it. He was so blind to it that Jesus had to point it out and he did it in a way where he said, get rid of all your stuff, give it to people that you deem lesser than you, and then come and follow me, giving him the greatest invitation that he could have had. Why was this hard for him? Because this man was looked upon like he was blessed in the community. See, in their culture, if you had money, you were blessed by God. If you were poor, you might be cursed by God. This man was probably from a very important family. He had status, he had position, He was looked at as blessed. That's the theology of their their day. And so you're blessed or you're cursed depending upon your outwardness, the the law-abiding citizen that he was. People looked up to this man. Man, what an awesome young man. I want to be like him. He's great. He's respectable. He's a good citizen. But Jesus looked at his heart and saw what nobody saw. This synagogue attender, this tither, This decent, good person in the community, he saw that his possessions and his position possessed him, but he was too blind to see it. The kingdom of God perspective is this. If we cannot let go of what we have, then we will not lay hold of what we need. If we cannot learn to let go of some things, we will never lay hold of what God wants to give to us, which is always better. I had a friend early on and like several, when I came to Christ had the privilege of leading him to the Lord. I took him to a revival meeting. Remember those? They were basically like seven day nonstop meetings at assembly of God churches. (laughs) And so we were going to a revival meeting, which really was plural meetings. And it was a weeknight and we were sitting out in the car, and I, of course, invited him there, and we were about to go inside. And we were having a conversation about him letting go of something in his life in order to follow Jesus, and he was struggling with that. And he literally said to me, I do not believe that I've got to let go of my sexual relationships outside of marriage in order to have more of God and follow him. And in the same way that Jesus loved the rich young ruler, I, in my young following of Jesus, looked at my friend with love, and I said, that is a lie. You've got to let go of this sin so that you can pick up his righteousness. You have to do it, or this sin will take you down a road you do not understand. And my friend at the time looked at me and said, no, I'm not going to do it, and I don't believe that that is true. I felt very sorry for him, and he walked away sad. I know what it's like to see people walk away sad because they cannot see the invitation of Jesus. That man, my friend, that day walked out of that car. I never saw him again. That's the truth. I tried, but I never saw him again. I don't know what made of his life. I pray that he's doing fine. If he's watching me, I pray that you're awesome, following Jesus. But that's the truth, he walked away sad. I know what it looks like, I know what it sounds like. This is our reality. But what if I told my friend, hey, listen, if you would just stop your sexual sin because you knew that continuing one more day would cause you unbearable pain for the rest of your life, would you do it? Or what if I told him if you stopped your sexual sin today because somebody would give you a billion dollars if you did, do you think that he would do it? Come on, what do you think? I think he would stop right away. I think if I said you'll get a billion dollars if you stop today, he would say, sure. Or if, you're, if you keep going, you're going to have unbearable pain for the rest of your life. I bet you he would. Who wants unbearable pain for the rest of their life? And my point is this. We do not have a behavior problem. We have a belief problem. We have a belief problem. See, I can prove to you by asking you that question, that if I give you something that you think is worth, in exchange, you and I will stop our behavior. We can stop. The question is, do we believe that what Jesus is giving us is better? The lie is this, that it's not, we don't have behavior problems. We believe that the things that we are doing are better than what Jesus is and what Jesus is giving. Now I admit to you today that unbearable pain and a billion dollars is a terrible analogy for the horrors of hell and the glories of heaven, but it's the best that I got. There you go. And sexual sin may not keep someone from heaven, if they follow the Lord and and make a mistake, but the belief that Jesus isn't better than it certainly will. That's what we're talking about today. It's not just our behavior, friends, it's our belief. We believe that what we're into, what we're doing is better than Jesus. And there's a lot of accommodation in our world to try to tell us that every day of our life. The third observation is this. We see a serious warning about the idolatry of wealth. Look at verse 23. And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, and Jesus said it again. How hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. And then he says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. As the man is walking away, picture this in your mind. Jesus makes it extremely clear how serious the idolatry of wealth really is. Why is it hard for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God and stay on the straight and narrow path? Why? Because wealthy people do not feel their need. Wealthy people have everything taken care of. Wealthy people have it all under control. Wealthy people have a security that I can buy what I want, do what I want, go where I want. And I have need of nothing. And it creates a blindness where we do not see that we really have need. And it's something we cannot buy. And it's only, it only comes from God. We have to receive it. This is what wealth does. The scriptures again and again tell us this. Matthew six nineteen, Jesus said, where our treasure is, is where our hearts will be also. It was in the context of him teaching, you cannot have two masters. It will either be God or it will be mammon, the spirit of mammon or money. It will be God or it will be money, but you can only serve one. Money is a test of discipleship. Matthew 13:22 Jesus said the deceitfulness of riches not riches but the deceitfulness of riches will choke out the word of God from bearing fruit in our lives that's a warning that's a warning 1 Timothy 6:10 the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil Paul was teaching Timothy to tell his congregation be content in what you have having enough having a roof over your head, having enough money to live, having enough food to eat, be content because we take nothing with us. James chapter five and verse one through six, if I had time. Friends, if I had time. James gives this rebuke to the rich who stored up in the last days while injustice and starvation and lack existed in every part of their world. He said, you stored up in the last days, you had more than enough and you were okay with the injustice of your time. James holds, he holds out nothing. You go ahead and go home today and read it in 93 degree weather. You see what it does to you and make you feel a certain kind of way, won't it? we've got to realize that scripture is speaking to us. The average American, whether you're lower, middle or upper class, what is wealth to the wealthy? Is it access to clean water, healthcare, food, transportation, housing? We have so much wealth. You have to admit it today. You're wealthy. We're wealthy. This has got to speak to us. We are wealthy. Solomon, the richest person ever, And all of his splendor did not have some of the basic things that we take for granted. He did not have instant hot water. And thank God that I do. (laughs) He could not just drive to some place and get a hot meal in a couple minutes. It took hours to prepare food. Even though he could get whatever he wanted, it still took hours. You and us, you and me, it's minutes. The things, the amenities that we have today, the kind of wealth is something that is unimaginable even to the richest person that has ever lived in ancient days. We are wealthy beyond our belief. Wealth blinds us to our spiritual need for God to depend on him with all of our heart, both now and eternally. And he says this, he says, it's easier. I know this is silly. You just wait, you just wait. Hold on. I know it's funny. I tried to look for a better camel. This is all I could find. (laughs) and some wonderful child is getting blessed next service because I'm not keeping this illustration. It was 20 bucks. He was $20 camel. I want you to feel this today. Feel this, and I know it's silly, but just get past that. Jesus made a comment, and it wasn't some type of ancient metaphor where the camel had all this pack on him, and there was a gate in Jerusalem called the eye of the needle, and he needed to stoop down. That was made up in the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages. That's not re- that, that, it's a good story, but it's not real, okay? Then scholars have debunked that, okay? It's, it, they've just done it. So what Jesus was saying was what a common rabbi would, would teach he would give a ridiculous metaphor, analogy. He would give a ridiculous analogy to prove that it's impossible. And he says this, it is, it is easier. Everybody say easier. easier. It's easier for a camel. Now just picture the camel's bigger, okay? He's just bigger than this. Here's a needle, here it is. You can't barely see this on camera. You guys can't see it on camera. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, all that's happening now is the camel's getting hurt. That's all that's happening. Bing, (laughs) bing, bing. The camel's like, why do I have to be a part of this analogy? I don't know. I don't know. You're welcome. He was trying to help his disciples see something as the man was walking away sad. There's an overcast over the man, and the disciples are thinking, if this guy can't get into heaven, we've got no chance. He's better than us. And Jesus looks at all of them. And he goes, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. He wanted them to feel it in their bones. Get this into your mind and your heart. Human achievement will never do this. You can't earn it. He wanted them to feel it. It was a cliffhanger. What do I do? What must we do? That's what they would have felt in their own hearts. What idols are we holding on to that are holding us back from receiving Christ or even more of God in our life if we're Christians? What idols are we giving more of our attention, more of our affection to than they deserve and they've become idols in our life? They've taken the place of the Lordship of Jesus. What idols do we have that we need to deny? We need to withhold on them so that we can give more to God. I love the idea of fasting not because I don't like eating, but I like what it is. I like what it does. The idea is this. It's not earn something from God as though we can. It's that we pull back on one thing in order to give more of our attention and our time and our focus on the one who deserves it all. And we say to this thing that takes up our time and our attention, we say, you're not God. And I wanna tell you regularly in our lives, we need to fast from all kinds of things and tell them you're not God. And we give him more of our affection. We give him more of our attention, more of our love. And I wanna say this to you today. It's true that following Jesus will cost you something, but not following Jesus will cost you and I everything. That leads me to my last point, a salvation that only God can provide. Listen carefully. Verse 26, they were even more astonished. Of course they were. And they said to him, then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, with people, it's impossible. You can't earn this. But with God, all things are possible. And Peter again said to him, behold, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one, Peter, no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father, children or farms for my sake and for the gospels, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age. And then he also says in the age to come, the disciples who can be saved. This guy's better than us. Jesus says, You're right to ask that question. You're right to ask that question. Nobody will get into the kingdom by human achievement or human goodness. It is impossible. That means God has to do something. Jesus is telling them decent, well intentioned, moral, kind, sincere, even convicted people will still go to hell. They will. I don't like that. I don't want that. But that's what he's trying to say. And this world will try to help us believe that that's not true. And it is. The man walked away sad because he knew what Jesus was telling him. That you need something bigger than yourself, more than yourself to get you where you want to go. Because you can't do it. That's why the gospel of Jesus is so great. That's why it's called good news. It's the greatest message in the world. It's the best thing that we have going for us. It's that Jesus did what we couldn't do. He lived the life that we couldn't live. He died in our place for the forgiveness of our sins. He rose from the dead supernaturally because the same spirit that is in him that rose him from the dead, he says towards those who believe, will live in us. He promises that he is returning to those that trust in him and turn to him with faith and repentance. This is the good news for the person that is willing to humble themselves. And not just one day, but every day. Not just I did it a long time ago and, and I'm, now I'm on the broad road. No, we stay on the narrow road. We live on the narrow road. We welcome his conviction to become like him and not just to submit to him, not just to profess him. The fact, friends, is this, is that, you know what? Jesus actually is the true rich young ruler. If you think about it, in the world's eyes, this guy's a rich, he's young, and he's a ruler. He's got everything that everybody wants. And he's standing in front of someone that has everything everything that nobody can see. Jesus is the rich young ruler. He owns it all. He has it all. The man doesn't understand the invitation. He doesn't understand the one he's standing in front of. Jesus got what we deserved in death so that we could have what he deserved in resurrection. This is the gospel. Peter says this as I close, we have left everything to follow you. It's almost like he's looking for affirmation well, Jesus, look what we've done. It was good, right? What we did was what you wanted, right? Like this impossibility exists, but this is it, right? And Jesus says this to him. Check this out. Peter's like, look what we did. And Jesus says, oh, Peter, you have left nothing. You've left nothing. You are slowly walking towards more than you could have ever imagined. When you get there, you will realize you left nothing. This was nothing. Let go. Let go of that because you are slowly walking toward eternal glory that's going to blow your mind. Peter, your mind's going to be blown. You think you've left something. You didn't. You just responded to the only call that matters in your earthly existence. You chose right. You chose right. And there's a day coming where the veil is going to be lifted and you will see what choice you made. And the only thing you will wish is that everybody else did the same. You will realize that we allowed, people allowed the lies to so soak into their heart to believe that this was better than that and it was a lie. It was a lie. I read a story this week about a very large man that was drowning. True story. And he was panicking in the water. He was swinging his arms all around. He was trying to save himself. And the lifeguard had jumped into the water about three to five feet away, but he didn't approach him. He had a lifesaver he could save his life, but the man was swinging around and, and the lifeguard just stayed where he was. And everybody around was, was wondering why. But when the man's efforts were all gone and his energy was depleted, then the lifeguard rushed in with the lifesaver and he saved his life. And the bystanders asked this question in the article I read. They asked, why did the lifeguard wait And the lifeguard is quoted as saying, As long as he was trying to save himself, there was nothing that I could do for him. He had to stop trying to save himself because he was going to take me down with him. The minute he stopped saving himself is the minute that I rushed in and saved him. Isn't that a great parallel to the gospel? That's what it's all about, friends. We got to stop trying to save ourselves by human effort because we can't. We've got to abandon that road and all that it means in our, in our life. Salvation is not about what we can do for God. It's about what Jesus has done for us already. Amen and amen. Would you bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment as we pray? Thank you, Lord. I know a lot of you in this room, some I don't know, some I'm getting to know, but I have to ask this question before we leave today and go have some barbecue and get hot outside. It's more important than all that. And that is this, do you have a real personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you know him? Are you forgiven of your sins? Do you know where you're going when you die? And friends, we all will. Do you really know where you're going? Or are you uncertain? If you're not sure, if you're not certain, And if you don't know, I wanna say this to you, loud and clear, you can know. You don't have to worry or wonder, you can be secure. And this is how you can be. You give your life to Jesus Christ. The road to eternal life begins with him. He says, I am the door, I am the way, and I am the good shepherd. So if there's anybody here today, whether you're in the service or you're even online, if you're online, you can type something in, But if you're here and you want to make sure, because you're not sure, I wanna know Jesus, I wanna be forgiven of my sin, and I wanna know that I have eternal life, begin a relationship with him today. And you wanna start that right now. I want you to raise your hand and I want you just to acknowledge, Ben, that's me. That's me today. Sir, I see your hand. Is there anybody else? I see you. Yeah, I see you. There's three of us, is there anybody else today? Ben, I want to start by acknowledging that this is what I want to do. I want to give Jesus my life. There's three of us today. Thank you, Lord. Let's all stand. Those of you that raise your hand, here's what I'm going to ask you to do, because I don't want to make a spectacle out of anything. But if you meant it, if you meant it, and I believe that you did, our pastors and prayer ministers are going to be up front here after the service, and we would, we would want you to come down and talk to us. We just want to pray with you. We think it needs to be personal, not corporate. It's personal to come to Christ. So come forward after the service. But for the rest of us, can I stoke a fire in you today that we would be worshipers, not wanderers, that we would be servants of Jesus, not people that are held back and held in bondage, but moving forward in all that God has for our lives to glorify him. Can I exhort you to draw near to the one that has given us everything in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Father, we thank you today for all that you've done and all that you're doing. We pray that you would move in our hearts, Lord. We ask you that you would move us to places of conviction. And if we need to rededicate our lives to you, Lord, I pray that we would do that now. That we would not sit back, we would stand up. This is not the day to sit back. This is the day where Christianity needs to be full on walking in Christ. God, I pray that as in our 44th birthday as a church, Lord, you would give us so much hope for what you want to do in the world today. Yes, there are a lot of bad things that are happening, but Lord, you are at work and we just declare the goodness of God in this house. 44 years of your goodness. Give us 40 more, lest you might come. And if you do, we'd rather take that ride. But God, I pray today that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit. Give us your conviction. Show us your love, just like you looked at the rich young ruler and you said you loved him. You loved him. Lord, you love us. Reveal to us the beauty of Christ that we might walk in the fullness thereof. We love you and we thank you for all that you're doing in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.